In a recent report, the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine found that sexual harassment of women in scientific fields has not abated. According to the report, harassment remains a particular problem in medicine, and it may start as early as medical school. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Esther Chu, an Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Oregon Health and Science University School of Medicine. Dr. Chu has co-authored a perspective article about the National Academy's report and what the Time's Up movement means for medicine. Dr. Chu, what kinds of research informed the National Academy's report, and what are the most important conclusions the report draws? The report did a comprehensive review of literature across scientific fields. They looked in sciences, engineering, and medicine. And in particular for medicine, they focused on studies that used pretty standardized measurements of the occurrence of sexual harassment in our field. The strength of the report was really the broad view they took on sexual harassment, including the definition. So they were inclusive of three types of sexual harassment. So they included gender harassment, which is really hostility towards women and any crude behavior and any sort of verbal or nonverbal behaviors that indicate that women have a second-class citizen status in the workplace. Then they also included what we more typically think of as sexual harassment, including unwanted sexual attention and sexual coercion. So using that definition and looking across sciences and then in particular in medicine where these things have been measured using accepted and well-developed metrics, they were able to describe how frequently sexual harassment occurs, particularly in medicine where there are many sources of potential harassment because we deal not only with colleagues and supervisors, but also with the wide range of support staff in the healthcare system as well as patients and their families. And so from the study, we know that as many as 50% of women experience sexual harassment by the time that they graduate from medical school, so even before they've begun their careers. What's been the response to the report in the medical community? I think people have been surprised for the most part. I mean, when you speak to women, they look at the report and they say, well, of course. So it's stimulated a lot of conversation among women physicians and trainees about individual experiences that fit with the data that came out from the report. But I would say, in general, especially from men, there's been kind of surprised that this has happened. And I've seen a lot of dialogue on social media and in activities I've taken place where people say, it's amazing that it's that prevalent or it cannot be that prevalent because I've never seen this. And I think it's one of those situations where if you are unaware of it, you really can float through your working life and not see that it's happening even when it's there in front of your eyes. So there has been this element of surprise and also some denial, like I can't believe it's that prevalent, you know, are those numbers inflated? So I've seen that range. But for women in medicine, it's largely been this feeling of, well, that corroborates my experience and that of my female peers. In your article, you talk about the lack of progress in addressing gaps between men and women in salary, career advancement, leadership in medicine. So what are the first steps that medical institutions can take toward closing those gaps and supporting, empowering female faculty members and trainees? Well, first, we have to stop putting out the message that these things are going to fix itself. And that has been the dominant message over the last 25 years. So since the 90s, when we achieved roughly equity in medical school in terms of enrollment of men and women, The message has been that these problems will be fine now that we have more representation of women. And I think there was a lot of optimism in saying that women will just naturally fill up to leadership roles and that they will naturally achieve salary equity without focused, very purposeful efforts to ensure that it was so. So I think we 
now have about 25 years of data showing that hasn't happened on its own and that we need to be much more deliberate about measuring equity across all these domains that you mentioned, salary, promotion, leadership roles, setting targets, being very mindful of the way that implicit and explicit biases can creep in to curb the opportunities available to women. And I think we need to look at the findings of this report, which show that in male-dominated, male-led environments, it is very, very difficult to achieve gender equity. So I think we need to really aim to have balanced gender representation at the very tops of our organization. I also think that this report makes it clear that we don't really take an interest in this problem until it reaches the level of litigation. We can't fix it if we're waiting that long. So organizations should be much more proactive about taking the temperature of their organizational culture up front, even before they're aware that there's a problem. And I think if you dig into the culture of any institution of medicine, there are problems underneath that we have neglected for too long. Similarly, you say in your article that medical institutions too readily consider harassment to be an individual problem rather than an organizational one that might need a preventive approach. What would that approach look like at the institutional level? I think whenever there is a sexual harassment allegation, I think the response should be much more than trying to unravel that individual situation. I mean, certainly you need to figure out what is happening with that specific complaint, but I think any complaint is an opportunity for organizations to step back and say, did we create an environment in which sexual harassment could have not just occurred but flourished for some time? And I say that because when you look at some of the high-profile sexual harassment cases that have been in the news, really on the front page of the news over the past few years, every single one of those cases is a story of harassment that went on for many, many years. And many of those cases are stories of a pretty weak institutional response and really no change in response to that event. And so I tend not to think of these cases as single, isolated, aberrant cases, but really of just the tip of the iceberg. And so, you know, where there is one, there are probably many other instances of harassment occurring that are not coming to the surface because it is so terribly hard and painful to report, and it's even harder and more painful to get an institutional response that ends that harassment. So I think a a robust organizational response to harassment would be one that focuses on prevention. And so that is having open conversations about how academia and medicine tend to foster harassment of all kinds. I think having metrics in place so that we know early on, so when harassment is, I guess the clinical correlate would be to be pre-symptomatic. So before we get to a formal complaint or litigation to look for any subtle signs, things like doing a very focused assessment for sexual harassment on a regular basis so that people are able to respond to something like that, even if they're not ready to report it formally, just instituting means of detection much earlier than we're doing right now, and then making it clear to those in charge in any leadership positions that they should be very responsive to how harassment might be occurring within their departments or divisions, making resources for employees to be able to speak confidentially about abuse and harassment, and also making policies that are not only in place to address sexual harassment, also making them very visible to the community so people know how to access them and know that they can do so confidentially. I think there's sort of a range of things that organizations can do. There's not going to be any one thing, but it's going to be a body of 
policies and practices that you have in place so that any sexual harassment that occurs rises to the surface quickly so that we try to prevent it before it can even occur and so that we make it clear that our organizations are not friendly to it and we are not going to be friendly and continue to promote individuals who commit sexual harassment. Thank you, Dr. Chu.